Hello, and welcome to the Logistics Management Podcast Series. My name is Jeff Berman. I'm Group News Editor for Logistics Management Magazine, as well as the Peerless Media Supply Chain Group. Today, it's a real pleasure to welcome Ben Dean to our podcast. Ben serves as Director of Logistics Strategy and Warehouse Solutions for Flex. Ben is known for his flexible approach to operations management and his contributions to multiple startups as well. With a notable career trajectory, his experience encompasses logistics operations and organizational guidance. Previously, Ben served as a Divisional Vice President of Fulfillment and Supply Chain at Gilt.com. Gilt is a subsidiary of Saks Fifth Avenue. Hey, Ben, welcome to our podcast. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. I'm excited to be here chatting with you today. Yeah, absolutely. So, Ben, let's start from the top here. For those in our audience that may not know about Flex, can you just please offer up a brief overview of the company uh, in terms of, you know, what it is, what you guys do, uh, your types of clients, things like that? Absolutely. Um, The most important thing about Flex is that the second E is silent. So just Flex. But no, (laughs) in seriousness, we're a logistics technology company started out of Seattle And what we offer is a more flexible way to access warehousing services and infrastructure than the industry has traditionally offered. And what I mean by that is we've set up, built on our own, a cloud uh, tech stack highlighted by our cloud WMS that allows enterprise level shippers to access a network composed of over 3000 plus warehouses uh, through that single integration and single plane of glass view uh, in a flexible, more transactional way in the warehousing services space. All right, great, great. So uh, a lot of exposure to a, a lot of different uh, verticals w- w- within uh, your offerings too. So how do you sort of assess, Ben, the current state of the warehousing economy? Uh, certainly it's gone through a lot of shifts and uh, transitions and changes over the course of the last three plus years, uh, to be sure, right? Yeah, it's been um, an exciting time to be in this space, probably the most I've had in about 20 years in supply chain. And, you know, one of the unique things about Flex is being in that space between warehouse operators and shippers, we kind of act as a marketplace. And you'd mentioned that very various verticals from heavy manufacturing to retailers to food and bev. We get to see all of that. It's exciting for those of us who like to multitask and try different things out. And it also gives a bit of a view of the state of the warehouse uh, market and economy uh, that that's a little higher level and frankly unbiased. And what we see from our marketplace today is that in the most simple terms, it's a buyer's market, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of factors driving into that. We've had, um, we're at, I would guess the end of the bullwhip of the uh, overbuild that was caused by some of the inventory blood issues at the start of the pandemic. And a lot of organizations from the builders, developers, brokers to the three PLs and shippers are somewhat unwinding um, some of that overcapitalization today. Okay. All right. Interesting. So, Ben, in assessing or looking at sort of the impact of retail, warehouse, and transportation labor costs, uh, how are those factoring in terms of being able to meet consumer demand, you know, as it relates to your business? Yeah, well, when it comes to labor, one thing's, I think, a safe bet is that it's it's not going downwards in terms of cost. Things will always be headed upwards, and that's before we got into this inflationary environment, where housing labor had been on a clear upward trend uh, as long as I can remember. 
what may be unique in today's moment is that you're sitting here, you know, mid fourth quarter and nobody's uh, hitting that panic button. No one's saying, mm-hmm. hey, I can't get drivers. I can't pe- get people into my warehouse. And maybe I'm being a bit glib when I say no one. But relative to past peaks, it's definitely, to my point about buyer's market, a position where those who are looking to get labor are in a better position to do so and to have a little bit more negotiating power than maybe they did um, you know, a year ago. Yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um, so... In terms of uh, cost trends, how, how do you view sort of um, warehouse and transportation capacity respect, respectively it, as it relates to ongoing cost trends? Yeah. Well, let's go back to labor for one minute there, because sure. I think there's an interesting interplay between warehouse and transportation. I was actually at the Uber Freight Conference a couple of weeks back, and when it comes to big data in that space, they're doing some great things. And one thing that's clear is that in labor, there's labor that shifts between manufacturing hubs, warehousing activities, and transportation. The folks in your warehouse are literally talking to truck divers as they come in and out of the building. And if either of those parties recognizes that they can get a couple bucks at joining the warehouse or leaving the warehouse, they'll do that. So these are very fluid markets and capacity in terms of labor capabilities moves between them pretty fluidly. Mm-hmm. Now, the capacity piece, and this is more where I tend to play and has been very interesting over the last couple of years, is that we went into the pandemic and suddenly saw the tightest physical space and warehousing capacity, the tightest market that we'd seen in ages. The Inland Empire being a big port market was sitting at a quarter of a percent of capa- of available to lease space. Um, in 21 and 22. And, you know, that that created this, what I was referencing earlier, this bullwhip effect, where people were simply just panic buying, feeling they couldn't get access to capacity in order to secure that capacity against a projection of growth continuing at the rate it did for years down the line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so then what came along near the end of the pandemic, uh, somewhat tied to it, is this interest rate environment in which the cost of carrying inventory suddenly exploded for businesses. And as they were sitting on consumers shifting their buying patterns away from hard goods and towards experiences and travel, they were they were hit with this double whammy where it was more expensive to hold inventory and consumers were shifting their buying patterns and that inventory was getting stale. Mm-hmm. So as of, where, as of where we sit in Q4 2023, that unwind is still occurring against construction volume that bet on the pandemic trends. And now we're in this position where there's record capacities in those same markets where there's millions of square feet. These buildings that were built on spec that somebody would come and lease them are, are now putting developers in a, in a bit of a tenuous position. Understood. Yeah. It, it seems, seems to be an ongoing narrative in, uh, in, in that, in those circles. Um, One of the, um, sorry, sorry, I cut you off. I just yeah, no, go ahead. The subject, you know, the cost piece of that is really interesting because these record vacancies to date haven't resulted in lower cost of lease in most markets. So to me, this, this is a real clear indicator of somewhat broken economy 
where you can have record vacancies, but rates don't drop in line with them in a fluid manner. And we're sitting here and expecting Q3 reports coming out for CBRE and others. Yes. And speculation internally in last week that there's a bit of hesitation on putting out those reports because maybe the worm has turned there. Maybe yeah. we are seeing to say some secular trends towards lower lease rates. Yeah, it's interesting that you you make that point. I, I typically do cover those reports, you know, from CBRE, JLL and some others. And obviously going back, especially the last few years, uh, more often than not, th- those those re- those reports do tell a very uh, strong, uh, positive story for the sector as it relates to vacancy, absorption rates, things like that. Um, what about the impact or perhaps the, the worm is turning, as you may have indicated there? It, it ha- what's, what's that, the, um, the current state of sort of uh, lease rates? Are they still on the rise? Are they flattening out? Are they on the, uh, are they decreasing? Uh, what's going on there? Yeah, it's, it's not a one picture, but what we're seeing in terms of just the typical warehouse space, uh, we are seeing lease rates continuing to rise at least through the end of Q2 okay. and in most markets through Q3. But I'm placing a bet here that that is, that is at peak and we are starting to see that reverse. And I'd mentioned the kind of broken economy here. I think the reason they haven't gone down despite these increasing vacancies is there there's concerted efforts to ensure that something like that doesn't occur because it sends a bad narrative for those who are lo- looking to sell the space. Sure. So what we've seen instead from folks on the selling side there is a lot more flexibility in the areas of lease agreements that don't show up on the bottom line of the lease rate. And what I'm talking about there is term lengths. Term lengths are definitely shortening. You can get access to space. I mentioned the IE Inland Empire is a clear example. Leases were 10 plus years there. You now have negotiating power to bring those down to three to five years in that market and even shorter in, in secondary markets. And then a lot of those spaces are getting demised. So thinking you could sell that in a chunk, 500,000 square feet or more. Now developers and brokers are looking at selling those in smaller chunks to, again, hold rates, continue to show that there's a lot of activity in this marketplace, um, and and frankly, not not bring things down to where we'd see the supply and demand in a, in a normal economy operating. Okay, got it, got it. Um, and, you know, when we look at sort of freight activity on balance, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, of indications it's you know they're, they're more than indications they're, they're in, in stark absolute terms that that freight volumes are down tonnage is down um you know how do you look at that sort of how's that sort of factor into the intersection the intersection being between uh declining freight uh freight volumes and tonnage coupled with things like retailers that are still working off of high inventory levels uh i just asked that question because you know we're it fall is here there, there should be a peak season going on. Many people say it's it's muted, uh, atypical, uh, unlike it used to be pre-pandemic. That aside, um, how do you sort of uh, view that intersection of declining freight volumes with still high inventory levels? And I guess as a follow-up, Ben, what does that mean for warehousing once um, 
once the inventories are back in sync with each other uh, to, you know, when they're back down to the needed levels and we're not dealing with all this bloat, if you will. Yeah, I think it's a good term for it with regard to inventory. So let's start there. One, there there is this watch where over the last couple of years that inventory has moved from just in time to just in case. So most shippers were operating on razor thin supply chain and inventory levels sure. to operate in the most efficient manner when you think of that in dollars and cents. And I think a lot of supply chains had a really important realization over the last couple of years that supply chain resilience meant having excess inventories in certain nodes to be able to respond in the next disruption event, whether that disrupted your demand signals or your supply signals. So we saw a lot more inventories. And from some perspectives, I think that was the new normal, that inventory should be at these higher levels even after we unwound the effects of the pandemic. Sure. But I think a big mistake in talking about inventories, interest rates, capacities, et cetera, is like to treat those as kind of an inventory as an atomic thing. It's a set of goods. It's one inventory. But if you talk to any shipper, they, they parse and tranche their inventories a lot more sophisticatedly than that. And they recognize that their inventory consists of inventory that is good, that is going to apply towards sales this holiday, and then there's inventory that was bad, inventory that they purchased in anticipation of spring, summer type sales events that never, never sold because customers were going out on vacations versus doing the DIY home improvement stuff. Yeah, yeah. So okay. when you look at that unwind of inventory, I think there's a portion of those inventories that's that new normal that needs to be held at higher levels. But there's also some bad bets that were made by a lot of companies expecting the trends of 2020 to 2022 to hold through for years to come. Yeah. So, that, yeah, that just, just just is not the case. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it does need to be further unwound. And those are the inventories specifically and why a lot of the discount retailers have been so successful because they're getting the benefit of the first line retailers uh, making some bad bets with regard to their um, purchasing. So I think you were trying to get towards 2024 and what happens when that occurs. Yeah. So we've got some conflicting winds coming at us. So they are unwinding that and we've got these vacancies. But another thing that was done on the developer side, again, looking through the rearview mirror to figure out what happens in the future, new starts in construction have dropped dramatically. It's not a major market, but we were looking at it with my team uh, this morning, Norfolk, Virginia, uh, secondary port market on the East Coast. And there's virtually zero construction going on there, though there's high demand signals. And the reason for that is they were looking at their ability to absorb and create leases against what they built in prior quarters. And as that slowed down, they cut down the construction. So we're going to see inventories come down, but we're also seeing new starts come down, which means that there's less capacity coming online in 2024 than we saw in 2023. So if well-managed, those things will intersect quite well and we'll get back to a balance point. But in our experience, those things aren't well-managed. So we'll either overcorrect and be in a, another capacity crunch situation when yeah. people start buying again for Q3, 4 of next year, or we'll continue you know, to be enjoying a buyer's market because inventory unwinds, outpace, uh, outpace the capacity, uh, I guess, slowdown that we're talking about. Yeah, no question about it. Um, 
So that that's a really good setup. Uh, just in, when when we think about your customers, your clients, um, against that backdrop of the things you were just describing, Ben, what are some of the key things you think that they should be focusing on and paying attention to as it relates to warehousing, uh, on-demand warehousing, uh, and logistics over, say, the next 12, 12 to 18 months? Yeah, I think there's a real first mover advantage here. So I, I talked about this being a buyer's market. Yeah. But the market itself is operating more like a wait and see market. Those that are in positions of determining where their capital outlays go and their return on assets and investment, I have big, big concerns about the interest rate environment and how that impacts their decisions. And given there's no clear indication outside of the next Fed meeting where that's going to go, a lot of big organizations seem to just be taking a let's wait and see approach. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's a lot of tomes out there that'll tell you that like just waiting as a business is a sure recipe for disaster. You need to make a bet right or wrong and drive forward with that. And if that bet is for continued consolidation and reduction in consumer spending, that's one way to go. But you know, frankly, the Warren Buffett style no one's made money betting against the U.S. economy in the long run. Mm-hmm. So what I'd advise shippers to do is look at this buyer's market as that, is that okay. you've got increased negotiating power, whether it's on leases or labor rates or what have you, and you know the economy is going to grow over the next two to three years. How do you position your business for that and be a step ahead when demand picks up that you're positioned close to your consumer, you've got the right mix of goods, and you're there to, you know, frankly, eat the lunch of your competitors. And, and that's the let the more tactical component of it. You know, we had this huge decade worth of e-commerce adoption through the first year of the pandemic. And as a result, e-commerce growth slowed on the last couple of years because we had so much of that quick adoption. But the tenants of shortening that last mile to your consumer, making your goods available through all channels, none of those things have changed. It's just organizations seem to have hit the pause button on building that infrastructure. Okay. So, you know, I, I give a big, big applause to those who are out there, you know, shortening that last mile, adding nodes, investing deeper into your carrier and warehouse relationships so that when all that turns on, you're ready, you're ready to hit and pounce as opposed to being there in catch up mode. Okay. Understood. Um, and uh, one more quick one here, Ben, uh, can you please just take a minute to discuss the importance of building operational resilience in preparation for future opportunities and disruptions? Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, I could go forever on this one because <laughs> I, I'd mentioned the shift like specific to inventories around the just-in-case. And again, that's not something you should take to all your SKUs and treat with a broad brush, but be strategic about it. And that, that's just the inventory approach to operational resilience. The last two years, three years now, like the big event was obviously one of those black swan events. And then we recognized quickly where we sit that they're less infrequent than we gave notice of. Like as soon as that we got past that, we got into longshoremen's and strikes on virtually all the West Coast ports that made them less competitive and less quick to get your goods through. Yeah, businesses shifted west to east through the Panama Canal, and you know, now no one was predicting it this summer, but droughts occurred, and now ships can't get through the canal. So, 
resilient companies that made that quick switch west to east were in the worst shape. Again, you make a bet, sometimes it doesn't play off. Mm -hmm. But what I think supply chain leaders are recognizing now is that the supply chain isn't a single chain. It's multiple interlocking chains that are all supporting one another and more of like a supply net. And this came off at CSEMP Edge a week or so ago. Um, they did a huge thing on the say the semiconductor supply chain. If you look at all the inputs that go into those fab operations, just immense across multiple countries, tier one, tier two, and three suppliers, you've got to have that visibility one. You got to know the problem, know the situation in order to build a resilience or continuity plan. And then you have to have multiple points of failure so that for many companies that China to Los Angeles trade route was a single point of failure. And moving that to the East Coast is just moving that point of failure through Panama, okay. through an East Coast port. So you have to build in resilience and frankly, sacrifice dollar efficiency for supply chain effectiveness. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point. Um, and then, uh, you know, just, just one more quick one before we wrap, Ben. Um, when we look at sort of when we look out into the uh, beyond 12, 18 months, you know, what if we were to look at the future of the on-demand warehousing model, say more on a longer term basis, say like three to five years? And who knows what's going to happen between now and then, obviously. I mean, nobody knew back in 2019 what we'd be talking about now in 2023. <laughs> I mean, how could how could you? But I mean, it, what are some of the things that uh that you guys will be paying close attention to over the longer term. For example, is AI going to have a more prominent role? Is it going to be a, a different verticals uh, that are center stage um, geographies? I pretty open ended question. I just would like to hear sort of more of the long long term outlook, if uh, of possibilities uh, more so than anything else. Yeah, love that question. Like. One, Flex has made our big bet on flexibility. Uh, no mistake there. We've, we recognize that you should be in a position of making bets. But when you have to make those bets in the traditional environment of taking a lease or building your own building, uh, you're talking about commitments in years and millions of dollars. And you know you're going to be wrong. You're on your forecast on what the next supply chain disruption is. Uh, so it's a tough bet to make, knowing that you'll be wrong on a lot of the components that went into go to making it. Right. So what we try to offer is the ability to make those bets on smaller terms and periods, so that you can say launch a new fulfillment center in the Northwest because you are showing that you've got a lot of demand in that area and you're underservicing it. And you can launch that and have month to month terms and grow into that versus putting concrete down and making a bet on the next five to 10 years. And if you're right, great. If you're not right, we can unwind that a little better. I think the only reason that's possible today is through the digitization efforts of the last you know, couple of decades. We, we built that around the concept of Amazon Web Services and that data was this thing that you owned and you had built server farms around and you had a huge IT team to make sure the lights didn't go off in those farms. And by moving that to the cloud, it created this flexibility where access to more storage data processing power was as simple as you know increasing a toggle somewhere 
And that's that's our vision for the next five to 10 years is that as these events occur and you want to switch between an East Coast or West Coast port, you need to have a place to deconsolidate that container, cross dock that to your facilities, et cetera. And today you have to have that rigid set facility. And we want to divorce your ability to do that from those long-term commitments and say that there's just a commoditized market for those type of services and that capacity that when goods need to move around and demand signals change, we had one in the last couple of years in the Northwest with mm-hmm. um, no one bought air conditioners here. I grew up in Eugene, Oregon, and there is no air conditioners in my town. And okay. in the last couple of years, suddenly that's been a huge desire. And since they're not central air conditionings, there's a lot of window units and the small ones. And there's a brand that we work with that just launched a new West Coast node, immediately moved those air conditioners from their other locations into that. And their ability to like literally respond to weather forecast signals about what's going to happen in their demand space um, is only only unlocked through digital tools, one on the forecasting procurement side, but also having the execution tools to say, I need a location here. I need fulfillment capacity there as is as simple as toggling up and down. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's a, that's a great point. Um, well, look, Ben, we're at the end of our allotted time for today's podcast recording. So on behalf of logistics management magazine and the peerless media supply chain group, I'd like to offer up a big thanks for spending some time with us today. It was my pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, for those of you in in the audience, uh, please feel free to find and connect with Ben on LinkedIn. Probably the best way to do that uh, would just be enter uh, Ben Dean and Flex, F-L-E-X-E, or do it the other way, Flex and then Ben Dean. And uh, for those of you uh, that aren't subscribing to our podcast, uh, please go ahead and do so uh, wherever you get your podcast. Just go ahead and look for Supply Chain 24-7 and it should pop right up. And also for those of you on Twitter, please feel free to go ahead and give us a follow. Just go ahead and look for uh, Logistics or at Logistics MGMT. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day and we'll see you next time.